0: film festivals nostalgic screenings live music events and more information and schedule at the calicoon Theater.com.
1: this week in this american life when people go into therapy everybody knows it can take years right you talk and you talk and you talk but jamie found out about this method of therapy that instead of years takes just 10 or 12 sessions and she decided to find out for herself could she make progress with a 30 year old trauma
2: in just two weeks. That's this week. This American Life, Saturday evening at 6.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. And each week, I sit down and speak with interesting people I meet right here in the Catskills. They may all be different, but what they have in common is a deep, abiding love for the Catskills. Today, my guest is Koscheckton resident, Tommy Cambridge. Tommy was born in Des Moines, Iowa, but grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and he's going to share with us what growing up there was like, why he ended up in New York City, and how he worked in finance for 22 years that gave it all up to do what he wanted to do all along, be an actor. Tommy is an example of the notion that one should never give up on their dreams. Now he's making those dreams come true one of which is to live here in the home he bought 22 years ago in Koshekton full-time. How has all of this transpired? Let's find out. Please enjoy my conversation with Tommy Cambridge. Welcome to Catskill Character, Tommy. I'm so glad to have you here today.
2: Donna, it's great to be here. Good to see you.
1: The first thing I'd like to know is... What is Amarillo, Texas like, and what was it like for you growing up there?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the one word to describe Amarillo, Texas would be flat and treeless, and a lot of people who fly in there think there's nothing there. There's a lot there, though, including a lot of characters. So I moved there when I was a year old. My father worked for Texaco, and so we moved from Iowa, and um, I was a year old when we moved to Amarillo. And so my all of my childhood memories took place there and in summers we would go to iowa and that was pretty much my life
1: you had family back in iowa yeah Mm -hmm. all
2: of my grandparents and my cousins lived there my aunts and uncles but um amarillo was um it's a town of about 150,000 people and it's mostly cattle and oil those are the two big industries there's a lot of characters in Amarillo, and I did not know that at the time. Do
1: tell. You just thought they were just how everybody is.
2: <laughs> I thought, uh, yes, I had no other frame of reference. So it wasn't until I actually got older and moved away from Amarillo that I uh, saw how colorful it was. I thought it was it was a hick town. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with hicks, I have Mm-mm. found out. They're actually quite interesting people. So, I you know, not a lot has changed uh, in Amarillo. It was a conservative place back then. It's still a conservative place but for me that was a great childhood. I was fortunate that my parents had a cabin about 20 miles south of town in a canyon, which is the second largest canyon in the United States. It's called Paladura Canyon State Park. So we actually had a horse, me and my two sisters. And so I had this country and western childhood existence mm. that um, it definitely informed my adulthood. Um, but at yeah. the time I just thought that's what everybody does.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you how you felt like Amarillo helped to shape you?
2: I am, uh, how did Amarillo help to shape me? Well, what it did was, I'm a sponge when it comes to character studies, and I think that's a big part of why I do what I do now, which is acting. But I was a studier of characters when I was a little kid, a studier of dialects uh, and accents and music and what informs other people's existence. And so i soaked a lot of that up uh, in my childhood and i carry it with me today i mean i say jokingly that there's a lot of people who live inside of me and a lot of them are from amarillo texas
1: do you remember any one particular character you'd like to tell us about
2: well there was a character uh, i can't say he was a friend of mine but he was one of the biggest characters in amarillo texas and his name was stanley marsh the third and he was definitely an eccentric person and i actually portrayed him in one of my uh, the first movie I ever did it it was a character based on him and he had a lot of money his parents were in the oil and gas business and he was an art collector uh, and he was also involved in a lot of scandals and uh, a lot of people who have gone through Amarillo have seen the Cadillac Ranch which is Mm -hmm. a series of 10 vintage Cadillacs with their noses buried into the ground and their fins sticking up at an angle and uh, it's kind of an unofficial national monument anyway he was responsible for that. He did all kinds of art installations around town. you know. And there was some scandal, as there is with a lot of characters, but he was a larger-than-life character who lived in a an estate called Toad Hall, which was out on the edge of town.
1: Toad Hall?
2: Toad Hall, which I guess is from Wind in the Willows. Oh, okay. I don't think he came up with it, but I never saw it. Nobody ever saw it because it was all very secretive and behind all kinds of... The few trees that grew in Amarillo surrounded Toad <laughs> Hall
1: so it was good there you got a lot out of being there but like a lot of young people you wanted to move away from home and when you graduated from high school you went to the University of Texas at Austin Uh, did you know at that point that you wanted to pursue a career in the arts
2: I would say yes but I also knew that it was not going to be practical and one of the things that drove me and still drives me to this day was approval from uh, my family and my parents and My father was in the oil and gas business, and he had his own small exploration company. And I I think it was his dream that I would come back to Amarillo and help him to run that company. But, you know, he was going to let me do what I wanted. But, of course, being a loving father, he was also going to guide me in the way that he felt was best. And uh, I had done a fair amount of performing in what was called junior high school at the time, middle school. And high school, Uh, I wrote a lot of plays. Uh, of course, I was always the star, <laughs> uh, but I made roles for everybody. Some of them were musicals. I also have a bit of a musical background.
1: So they must have gotten the idea that you were really into this. Yes. But he was kind of guiding you to become a petroleum engineer, I think you told me.
2: He was. So I went down to the University of Texas, and he asked me what I wanted to do, and I wanted to tell him that I wanted to pursue a theater degree. But I said, What do you think, Daddy? And he said, How about petroleum engineering? And <laughs> I said, great. Okay, you know, <laughs> I was good at science and math and so that's what I did and um it was not it was not a good first semester at the University of Texas and I took chemistry and calculus and petroleum engineering and physics and I did okay in everything except for calculus. And I ended up not having a very good GPA that semester. So the second semester, I told my parents that I was going to take some liberal arts classes and things I knew I would be good in, including drama and theater. And he raised his eyebrows and he said, well, you're not going to major in that, are you? And I said, no, Daddy, but I know that I'll make an A. And I did. Uh, And after that, I went to the business school. And uh, the University of Texas had just started a program at the time. It was called data processing. Now it would be called software engineering or something like that. Uh, And I was good at it. And so I wound up pursuing a business degree and getting my degree was in data processing and analysis. And I became a computer programmer. Mm -hmm.
1: So armed with this degree, you moved to New York City, which is a big move, and you began working in the financial district. What was that like for
2: you? Well, it was pretty exciting. I didn't really know. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of I did look at Wall Street as a type of theater and I wanted to find some type of theater to perform in so Wall Street seemed like a huge place to go and be and I knew also uh New York was an exciting place and New York was a, a good place for opportunity to make money as well. And I've had some friends from Texas who said, "Well, we knew you were going to move to New York to become an actor. You just didn't know it at the time." And I think were probably well they were right Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's what's happened but uh, at the time I was just happy with moving to a big place that was not Texas yeah uh, and that was on a coast and it was exciting for me you know the few people that I knew when I moved to New York uh, were all artists and I had met them through other friends in Texas and so I would get exposed to uh, other artists at parties or whatever and You know, the conversations would go well until they would ask me what I did for a living. And then I would tell them that I write computer programs for brokerage houses, and the conversations would just shut down because Mm -hmm. there was no longer any sort of common interest. And, you know, I felt uninteresting. Now, there were interesting people in data processing in the brokerage houses, but not too many of them. So I felt alone and isolated for years. And I felt like I had... I felt like I had sold out. I really did.
1: Well, were you able to take advantage of any of the theatrical opportunities in the city? Did you do any off off Broadway stuff?
2: well, i was I, I certainly became a patron of the theater. um in terms of performing, it only happened once. There was a lady who I identified with. she identified with me. We both realized eventually that we had a love for performing. And uh, she asked me to help her out with this staged uh, production. It was a reading of a play that she uh, was directing. And she asked me to play all the male incidental roles. And that was really my first experience with being on stage, with going through a rehearsal period, uh with seeing all the personalities and conflicts that come along with producing a staged production. And um it was thrilling and terrifying And I didn't want any of my friends to come until the day before it had all coalesced and came together. Mm. And I now know that that's pretty much the way things go when you do a staged production. But at the time, I didn't know that. And when it was done, we did a couple of performances. And folks came up to me afterwards and asked me if I was working. And I said, well, yes, I work for a brokerage house. And they said, no, as an actor. And I said, no, I, no. Would you like to? <laughs> I thought yes, but it's not practical. So it was a it was just a glimpse into what lay ahead. Mm-hmm. Um but that was my only experience for twenty years doing any kind of performing.
1: You know, when we spoke earlier you talked about the golden handcuffs and um I guess what what you meant by that was working on Wall Street's a very lucrative, a very lucrative place to be. And you were making good money, so you know, you get caught up in all that.
2: Yes. And yes, (laughs) and I did. You know, it was not a terrible experience at all. And, you know, I met some interesting people. It did afford me a lifestyle, which allowed me to buy my house in Sullivan County and travel and uh, both uh, for work and for pleasure. I've been uh, quite a few places in the world. Um, But yes, there was a conflict. I didn't feel that I was doing anything that I had any passion for, but it paid me pretty well and I just assumed that that's what life is you know it's -hmm. a trade-off
1: well you know this is a bit of a cliffhanger here I'm going to stop and take a break but uh, I'm wondering how did Tommy Cambridge make this leap from the golden handcuffs of working on Wall Street to the theater and we're going to find out after the break so stay tuned It's Michelle Martin from NPR. Thank you to everyone who donated to this station. Your gift helps us bring you the news and information you rely on and the shows that you love. We couldn't do any of it without your support.
0: So thank you so much. Keeping you connected. Your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. We are Radio Catskill. WJFF. Jeffersonville, W233AH, Monticello. This is Radio Catskill, celebrating 30 years of public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
1: Welcome to Catskill Character. If you've just joined us, I'm Donna Fellenberg, speaking today with actor and Koscheckton resident, Tommy Cambridge, In the first half of the show, Tommy shared what growing up in Amarillo, Texas was like, the struggle he had choosing a career that did not fulfill him, and his desire to break out of what he called the golden handcuffs of a lucrative career on Wall Street. In the second half of the show, Tommy is going to tell us how he solved that dilemma. Let's get back to it. So, Tommy, how did you break away from Wall Street? What did you do?
2: Well, I had what I look back on now, Donna, I call it was a gift of desperation. And there was a big crash in the industry in 2008. It affected just about the whole country and it affected the company that I worked for, which was a a large European financial house. And I had been there for 22 years and um, I I got this gift of desperation where I couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't have a plan, I just knew I couldn't do it anymore.
1: You were still at UBS, right? Yes. But you hadn't been fired or laid off, but it was just a struggle every day.
2: It was, and there were big uh, reorganizations that had happened, which were necessary, but after 22 years, I was starting to reexamine my own priorities and how much I could put up with, and compensations across the board were being slashed, including mine. So the incentive I had to put up with that, the insanity, and it really was, uh, that was removed. And so with the incentive taken away, it, it gave me the opportunity to think about other things. It was the first time in my life that I thought I could actually do something different. And I didn't have a plan. I just knew that I couldn't do that anymore. And I negotiated with my manager to get a package so I didn't get fired and have the shame of that. And I got some unemployment and I moved up here to Kashecton and uh, looked for inspiration. And mm-hmm. I did not find it. <laughs> I found beauty and and I found other things. But in terms of like what's the next stage of my life, I didn't find it. Uh, I looked at buying the Western Hotel and um, that didn't work for me. And it all came down to really meeting a person at my parents' house in Amarillo, Texas, which I looked at as a fluke at the time, but I think it, things were aligning for me. Uh, and I met this woman who was visiting from the West Coast looking to raise some funds for an african christian mission and i just happened to be visiting and my parents had come in and meet this woman and i didn't want to but i did and by saying yes that was really a pivotal moment in my life and uh, i became friends with this woman she became my spiritual advisor i ended up signing up for that trip to africa which got canceled (laughs) uh, for logistical reasons but I never envisioned me being a person who would go on a Christian mission to Africa, and there I was. Anyway, she and I continued to become friends, and she opened my eyes to other possibilities and the beauty and the power of saying yes. And she didn't tell me what to do, but I realized that I needed to move on from the relationship I was in. Uh, I realized that I needed to clean up my life in terms of substance and alcohol abuse. Uh, and I needed to do what was important and satisfy the passion in my life, which was to become a performer. And so all of that happened in a 15 month period. Wow. So I had three years of kind of spinning my wheels, and then I like jump started it, and that happened six years ago, and I started my training for my acting career.
1: This is an example of why it's so important sometimes to say yes. When normally you would say no, that you have to step out of your comfort zone sometimes, and good things will happen.
2: Yes, I, uh, you know, I, I have an analytical background. That's why I was good at being a computer programmer, and I am wired to when things are put in front of me to kind of try and connect the dots in the future and predict what the outcome will be, and then my, and then I, that informs whether I make that decision yes or no. And mm. often I was saying no and. It's. T- I don't always say yes, but I say yes a lot more than I used to. Yeah.
1: So how did you end up at the Upright Citizens Brigade?
2: Well, I was I was at a Christmas party just down the road from my house in Koscheckton, and I met a person uh, who's a pretty successful, a pretty successful actor. And I asked him, I said, I would like to pursue comedy. Uh, where Where do you suggest? And he said, the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City and that's what i did i signed up for their core improv program took me about 8 months to do that that was an amazing experience i wanted to do comedy mm-hmm. uh, i've wound up not doing too much although i am rehearsing for a play right now that is a, a comedy but um that 8 months was once again it was thrilling and terrifying to get up on a stage with no script and eight other actors and just pull stuff out of the air and try to be funny for 20 minutes it is very challenging
1: yeah, the Upright Citizens Brigade is mostly improv, right? So
2: Yes. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, group team improv. They also have sketch. Uh and I took a sketch writing course which I really enjoyed sitting around and collaborating with funny people and coming up with ideas and then turning that into something and I produced a couple of the sketches uh sketches that I wrote. Actually, I did them all up here. Shot them in my yard.
1: Oh. Good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not sure I want other people to see them, but you know, they seem funny at the time.
1: Uh-huh. So how is it that you play so many bad guys? You know, you have you're very affable. You have a sweet, approachable face, and yet you're often cast as a villain and you're really good at it. And I was wondering if maybe all the frustrations that you felt all of those years, not being able to do what you really wanted to do, sort of built up inside of you and you tap into that when you're when you have to get angry.
2: You know, yes. Everything what I've learned for me as an actor is every experience is a tool if I want it to be, if I remember it, and I don't remember every experience from my childhood, but I remember, remember enough. And those times of being a sponge and Mm. soaking up other people's characters and their characteristics and something got filed away. Uh, And now I have this inventory of feelings and people. And so I think you're, you're right that, uh, Frustrations that I had is now I can take it out in front of the camera on the stage and uh, let's face it, evil characters are fun. Yeah, I guess
1: they are. <laughs>
2: They're a lot more fun to do than nice characters.
1: So, how do you become these people? You know, actors always talk about their process of becoming the part. How do you do that?
2: Yeah. Well, regardless of the type of character, I create a biography, and depending whether it's the leading role or uh, supporting role. I do the same thing. I, I come up with where that character was born, where they went to school, what their family was like, and experiences that make them a colorful and rich character. And so, for these evil characters, I, you know, I, I, I did not grow up in any sort of damaged environment, I, so I don't have a lot of experience there. So I guess I'm really tapping into my imagination, and I also. I'm afraid of uh anger. You're I'm just fr- I'm just gonna make an admission. Yeah. I have I've really tried to repress uh angry feelings my entire life because the few times that I let them out I regretted the way I expressed them. So they don't necessarily go away, you know, they simmer and they morph or whatever. It's sort of like the um was the whack a mole? The whack a mole is um like a carnival sideshow sort of oh, thing okay. in, in Coney Island. <laughs> you know, and basically you you hit a mole and it goes into a hole but it pops up elsewhere. So that's the way it is with anger too. It's like you suppress it here, it comes out here. So I've had a lot of suppressed anger that is now coming out artistically. Oh, how healthy is that? I'm not sure. I no? maybe I need some therapy.
1: <laughs> well, we'll talk about that when we <laughs> yeah. get off the air. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: So far it hasn't I, I don't have any uh there's no, no, I have no regrets so far uh-huh. in terms of repressing that anger. Well,
1: you know the thing that you said about um, you didn't grow up in any kind of a toxic family, it was very healthy, emotionally, and everything, so you didn't really get a chance to stretch those muscles that help you when you're angry to learn how to deal with anger, so really, it's just an experience. Uh, Because people have to learn. Most people don't know how to express their anger in a, a good way. And people have to learn how to do that and to stay calm internally while something's boiling on the surface. And if you start screaming and yelling, nobody listens to you. So you have to learn how to do that. So it's just about, it's like how learning to be an actor.
2: It is, you know, and and certainly a lot more uh, emotions come up when when you're portraying an evil character than just anger. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times it's like revenge and, well, maybe some hatred, you know, from a long time ago. And I just like scaring people. Oh, you do? (laughs) I do like scaring. I mean, not like permanently wounding them, but, you know, giving people a little thrill or a little jolt once in a while. Uh Uh-huh. Yes.
1: That's that funny guy inside of you.
2: It's yes, the dark
1: it side. It is the, the dark, funny guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's next for Tommy Cambridge? What have you got going on now?
2: I'm I'm in that really fortunate place right now, Donna, that I've got a, a play coming out next month. Uh, it's part of the New York Theater Festival, Winterfest. And uh, it's a comedy called Limited Engagement. And uh, I have one of four principal roles where I'm playing a, over-the-top Broadway director.
1: Oh, that sounds uh, like fun. Yeah,
2: who's found out, he finds out that he's terminally ill, and so he's trying to pull all of his people back together for one last Broadway show and all the drama that comes along with oh. that. And uh, next month, towards the end of the month, I've got uh, a new thriller coming out that I have the lead role in. It's called In the Shadows, and I'm portraying a, a widower who may not be quite as innocent as he makes himself Uh out to be Mm -hmm. um and i just had a tv show last week on the investigation discovery channel i was not playing an evil character i was playing a good priest so that's kind of in the past but i had uh i have the theater this tv show last week and a movie so you know it looks like i'm killing it and i guess i am but you know most of the stuff i did last year it just all kind of comes together at the same time yeah
1: that's great and yeah. Do you have you have a website, right? Would you tell the audience what that is?
2: Sure. Uh yes, it's uh it's my name. Uh my stage name is Thomas Cambridge, so it's oh, www. excuse Me? Yes. I
1: had no idea. Uh,
2: yes, you you're you're <laughs> in the presence of Thomas Cambridge, and that's thomascambridge.com. And uh it's got all the information out there and uh the links to my upcoming projects and uh some character clips, and most of the things actors have on their websites.
1: Great. Is that your real last name, Cambridge? It is. It's such a great name for an actor, Tommy <laughs> Cambridge or Thomas Cambridge.
2: Yes, it. I didn't care for it when I was a child, but now it works pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> well, you know, it's been great having you, in. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming in. Good luck with everything that you're doing.
2: Thank you, Donna. It's great to be here. appreciate it.
1: That's Catskill Character for today. Thanks to my guest, actor Tommy Cambridge, for coming in and telling us about his journey from Amarillo, Texas, to New York City, and to Catskill, New York. Catskill Character is on every Saturday at 1130, right after Farming Country. I hope you'll join me and keep your dial on WJFF Radio Catskill, your community radio station. I'm Donna Fellenberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees, located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York, twoqueenscoffee.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org.
1: Here's how to be a good contestant on Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Tip one,
0: if you don't know the answer, guess. Driving Michael Phelps? <laughs> Could I say right now that I would totally watch the TV show Driving Michael Phelps? Remember what show you're on. That is correct. We're not on Jeopardy, but you're right. Tune in and shout out answers every week on Ask Me Another. Sunday morning at 11 on Radio Catskill.
2: You're listening to Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone and on your smart speaker. WJFF
0: Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Glens Bay, New York. Montessori education and life skills for preschool through 8th grade on an 85-acre campus with farm animals. Award-winning solar-powered alternative since 1978. Homesteadschool.com.
2: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. We are Radio Catskill. Celebrating 30 years of public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. From river to river, mountain to mountain, keeping you connected. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the NeverSink General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, Local products and catering. Now offering takeout. NeversinkGeneralStore.com